This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder, superpower your team. We've got an expert to tell you how to find your superpowers. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine superpowers. We actually do have superpowers and we want to talk about the importance of empowering our work teams, giving them responsibilities, roles, and training, all the stuff we've been talking about for the past two and a half decades at least. Today, we got an expert to help us in the journey towards superpowers. But before we get into all that, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser, and we have got one of the world's best certified veterinary practice managers here with us today to talk to us about something we're constantly bringing on this podcast all the time. And we're talking about the culture within your clinic, how your practice is being run, and what the relationship looks like between you and your team, you and your clients, and the whole practice in general. And I am so excited to have one of the best in the field today with us, Miss Tracy Dowdy. Woohoo! Tracy, Thank welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with all of you today. Hey, well, what's your superpower? Uh, my superpower is, um, I don't know. That's a great question. What's your superpower, Ernie? Well, my superpower is actually being able to deal with two teenage daughters while holding down a job and a wife. So <laughs> I think that's a superpower. But you know what, Tracy, your superpower is your smile. You have a beaming smile. In fact, I'm pretty sure it radiates. So that's that's your superpower I just gave you. And I think oh, that's an awesome. important superpower. Yeah, I it's a true. true. It's very true. I'm actually looking thing. at it's that a, beaming smile right now <laughs> on your bio page. And the fact of the matter is, is besides your beaming smile, Miss Tracy, you have done some amazing things in the veterinary industry yeah. over the last 20 years. You grew up in a veterinary practice, went on to own practices, and now you're helping people do better within their practice. Tell us a little bit more about kind of that backstory, your journey getting here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was... Um, I'm a daughter of a veterinarian, and I was in the corporate world working in the personnel industry right out of college for several years. And um, I started, I got married early and had my my first child um, at an early age. And, and well, just wait, what's an early age? Well, I was 24 oh, when I had my daughter, Haley. Out. That's not so, early. Um, <laughs> and I got married when I was 21. Okay, and that's so, a little early. Yeah, I... <laughs> It was yeah. early, yeah. I think so. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend that to my own children. But, um, but yeah, you know, it was a lot of demands of just you know figuring all of that out. And my dad was really struggling with his practice, and he wanted. Um, he was actually considering leaving the profession altogether. He was really burned wow. out. He had started a, a third practice, and it just was not taking off the way he had wanted. And one thing led to another over a brunch one Sunday afternoon, and I quit my corporate job and came on board as his practice manager. And we just had tremendous success working together as a team. Within three years um, of, of me coming on board, we really focused on the people in the practice, the people we were hiring, really focusing on um, the relationships we have with uh, our clients. And we tripled our gross revenue. And uh, built an award-winning facility, got published in veterinary economics, and we also uh, won a practice of excellence. And I realized over that three-year period that perhaps there were other veterinarians in our area that might need help. And I started my own uh, consulting business at 27 in 1998. It's been 21 years now. 
And I've just had the wonderful fortune to like work with so many amazing veterinarians and their teams. And I've interviewed thousands of inter uh, veterinarians and their teams. And you know, a lot of practices are having the same problems over and over. And I think we have to, um, we've got to be able to provide resources and tools to help them thrive in practice today. Yeah, you know, Tracy, I, I remember, uh, like you, our clinic also got the National Practice of Excellence Award. That, that was a real deal. That was legit back then, you know? Uh, so many of these awards these days just sort of, I don't know, are superficial in my opinion. They went through our books, you remember? Oh, it was an intense <laughs> process, yes. I mean, it <laughs> was, I remember, um, I mean, I even received, got some help from our architect where we, you know, when we had built the facility, and I remember us putting together like a big three-inch binder that right. we had to, you know, FedEx to the to the uh, people who judge that that contest, but I, I agree. I mean, it, it was it was a very prestigious award, and I've, I'm proud that we won it. Yeah, me too. And, and for those of you that are not familiar with this, this was back, Veterinary Economics and Pfizer did this thing called the National Practice of Excellence Award, and they, they had different categories, and, and Tracy and I were kind of in the small animal type of, of world. But, uh, and you were a year, I think, ahead of me. I was in 99, you were probably 97, 98, I think. Correct. Yeah. So, so regardless, what they did was not only like your client service and your staff training and your physical facility, but they also wanted to make sure you were profitable. And I think that's an element that's often not discussed enough. So Tracy, congrats once again on that. Tell us now, as you morphed out of working with your dad, how did this uh, consultancy sort of really take shape? Yeah, great question. Well, it started off very small. I mean, I, um, thanks to my husband, he really encouraged me to start my own company, you know, 21 years ago. And I, I, um, I've always, I think, had this entrepreneurial spirit, but I really went out and started cold calling practices in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which was the area in which I lived in at the time. And I got my first client in the first week of just walking into practices and introducing myself. And I never had to cold call after that one week of cold calling. It's really amazing how veterinarians talk to each other. And, and, and you know, a lot of my clients have just come by referral. But, but it, you know, it, it really took off after I joined Bracky Consulting. I was with Bracky for about, a, for about two years. And I worked with Dr. Karen Felstead and Roger Cummings and Dr. Jim Gunther. And, um, and, you know, obviously when you start the, op when you have the opportunity to speak on stage, uh, my business grew really rapidly and, um, you know, within three years I was consulting nationally. And, you know, like I said, I've been in hundreds of practices across the country and I think a lot of them have the same problems and issues that all small businesses have and that's, you know, wearing too many hats in practice. Practice owners are doing too much in practice today. They're in the center of their business where they're wearing the hat of, practice manager, um, you know, operating veterinarian, um, they're, they're, they're managing all their finances and they end up being a therapist to their staff right. and to their clients. And it just becomes overwhelming for practice owners. And, and I also think associate veterinarians, they're doing entirely too much in practice and they need help. They need help to uh, do, you know, the way they run their business in a different way. Yeah. And let's get to what we were talking about. I mean, obviously I was joking about superpowers, but I, I kind of truly believe that. And, and what we found historically is that, A, you're absolutely right, Tracy. You know, veterinarians, we weren't taught a lot of business principles in school. We certainly weren't taught HR or human resource management. So we kind of got out there, had some success because we were outcome driven. So meaning the clients liked what we were doing and we were helping their pets. So they kept paying the bills. But then as, as the competition increased over the past, especially 20 years, uh, 
uh, suddenly client service became a lot more of an issue. And so, um, Tracy, what you've done, like like a lot of us, is, is said, look, you know, maybe you need help managing your staff. And, and so let's start there. You know, what are some of the basic things that you see that, you know, small independently owned clinics are, are getting wrong about managing their staff? Well, yeah, it's a great question. And I think there's a lot of answers to that question just based on, you know, the particular practice that you go into. But I think that um, oftentimes practice owners are not hiring professional managers to help them manage their practice and manage their team. And so I think it really starts at the very top with leadership. We've We've got to have better leadership skills and people in leader who have the ability to lead others in practice. And I think oftentimes that's that's a missing link in practice. I think also the way we recruit, the types of people that we bring into practice matters. And, and too often I see we're hiring, um, we're not hiring the best and the brightest that, that our practice can afford. We're hiring, um, people typically who are using this position as a stepping stone to move on to something else in their in, in, you know into their real career. Right, right. Um, and then I also see at times when we hire really quality people who have the skills and the know-how to do 80% of what happens in practice, but they're not empowered to do that work. And they get bored or they get disenchanted. They're not motivated to come to work. And so they, they move on um, and, and quit. And so we see a lot of turnover in practices because um, they're not being led appropriately. Uh, we're not bringing in the right caliber of people in practice. And when we do bring in good caliber of people, they're, they're not being empowered to do everything that they could be doing in, in, in the practice, which ends up being, uh, you know, it's not a win-win. When you have, you know, um, great people uh, alongside you as a veterinarian, you should be utilizing them to their fullest potential because it increases their morale and their motivation, but it all, also increases the practice's capacity to see more clients and patients in a, in a better way. Yeah, and I mean, absolutely, you've listed off probably the main problems that that most clinics are having. Like you said, this is the same problem you see across the board. And I think for people listening, it probably resonates. One of those th three things probably resonates with them either in a practice that they're currently in or, a, you know, a practice that they've been in, in the past. And at least for me, with support staff, I think that utilization is such an essential part. And, and we know how important autonomy is, decision-making is, feeling part of that is for everybody on every level. And, you know, one thing I know you do is is focus on this whole team from the front to the back. And it's not an easy ball of wax to, you know, <laughs> kind of unwind or, or a box to unpack at any given time. And I know it's a process for clinics, but how do you start to really drill down and narrow down what those problems are? How do you identify any one of those areas as being your main issue? Well, I mean, gosh, yeah, it's, it really starts with um, just like being a veterinarian, you've got to diagnose the problem, right? And yeah. there's a, a variety of ways in which I do that as a consultant um, by interviewing staff and sending out surveys. But I also think that if you're going to implement transformational change in your practice, you've got to have the whole team on board with a vision of where you're going. And I think too often practices do not have a blueprint or a, a business model or a framework on how they should run and operate their practice. They're just, you know, they're doing the best job they can. And they, you know, veterinarians are extremely smart individuals who have everything it takes to be successful in their practices, but they don't have a, 
a model or a plan of action on an annual basis about what they're going to do to improve and, and take their practice to that, that ideal future state. And so I think it really starts with identifying, well, where are we now? What, is, what does our practice look like right now? And what do we not like about that? What do we want our practice to look like in the future? And getting the whole team on board and committed to that direction, when you do that, when you take the time to do strategic planning with your whole team, and you, you cast a vision for them on what, that, what that's gonna look like in the future, they're gonna be more likely to get on board and be a part of something amazing and contribute to that. And so I think that's, that's, that's one of the issues that, um, that I think is missing in, in many practices is they're not taking the time to plan for their future. And get the I think team you're on right, board. yeah. And get the team invested in, in, that, in that vision. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And I, and I can't think back to a lot of times I've been in practice where maybe I'm able to identify and recognize where the long-term plan is for the clinic. And I think you make such a good point about communicating with your team and making sure everybody is a part of that. Dr. Ernie, when you were in, in practice, is that something you guys focused on? And how yeah. did you implement that within your practice? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, this is something I've espoused in, in not only in my personal and professional life, but in lectures. And, and Tracy, you're right. It's this lack of, of mission. Uh, they don't really have this purpose. And I think that too often vets, you know, sort of stop at, well, I take care of dogs and cats or horses and cows or whatever. Right. And that's like so superficial, uh, not even understanding the market segmentation. And Tracy, I know you do a good job with that, but it's like, okay, who are you serving in your community? Like these are really salient points and, and, and ways that we can now deliver the services that are going to be not only the most profitable, but actually the most in demand, you know, desired by our communities. And so I, this is, you know, I give a lot of talks over the years about, you know, this is a community or practice that would benefit from a, you know, color flow Doppler ultrasound. And this is a, a practice that absolutely, there'll be a waste of money, you know? So it's, right. it's mission and vision are so important. Understanding your identity in the community. I mean, that's just the basic first steps. And a lot of times vets just for whatever reason won't take them. Yeah, and, and to your point, when you say even on the on the highest level in the practice where the veterinarian is saying, well, I just take care of dogs, cats, cows, goats, whatever it is I take care of, I mean, imagine that trickle-down effect, you know, right. to where our kennel attendants are saying, well, I'm just in the kennel, and, and our customer service reps say, I'm just a, a CSR, I just answer the phones. And, you know, I hate to hear anything in the practice start with, I just, because right. they really are underserving themselves. And so, so Ms. Tracy, tell us a little bit more. I know you kind of have founded the relationship-centered practice, and you've talked a little bit about how you've got to, um, you know, get the team on the same page. How does that tie together and, and help, help us understand a little bit more about that? Yeah, I would love to. Well, the relationship-centered practice I created um, just a few years ago, actually the, the name, but, but it's really a model that I've been implementing with many practices I've consulted over the last 20 years and just seen really proven success with getting doctors out of the center of practice. It's really the opposite of, you know, doctors being in the center of the business where everything revolves around the veterinarian. All the client relationships are with the veterinarian. All of the practice management oftentimes is being, do, you know, performed by the uh, owner who's also a veterinarian, all the client uh, patient care, uh, treatment procedures, diagnostic procedures oftentimes are either being performed by the veterinarian or he or she's dictating every client, every patient, every time to the staff what needs to be done. And that just becomes a daunting task for any one individual. And you may even go to some practices where you might have, you know, a tenured re registered vet technician or you know, a few people in the center of the business and everyone is there serving those few people. 
And that's not a sustainable model. It's not a model where people are gonna super, be super excited to come to work every day to serve the veterinarian or um, you know, to really not have the knowledge and understanding of how to do their job to the best of their level. And so you end up seeing a lot of glorified animal restrainers in practice and people waiting to be told what to do in practice. And, you know, if we really can look at, you know, any small business, whether it's a veterinary practice or, you know, a CPA firm or a, a legal firm, you know, you've got these experts that work in the practice, but they if, they're, if they have the ability to share their knowledge through developing systems and standards in practice, and there's a lot of open communication about what we do, why we do it, where we're going as a team, then you're gonna be able to have equal players in the delivery of healthcare. And that's really why I created the Relationship Center Practice. I want this to be a movement where we understand that if we focus on the relationships we have with our clients, our patients, and each other, and we develop you know, a goal and a vision for where we're going, and we, we, we uh, are able to execute that through, you know, building a really self-reliant team where we have a culture of empowerment and a culture of knowledge sharing, then you're going to be able to really have a rock star, super powerful team, right. like you said, Ernie, that is inco they're income generators for the practice, but also they're getting up every day and saying, I'm making a difference in my job. Right. I'm, I'm developing relationships with clients. I am a colleague to my boss who's the veterinarian, and I play a huge role in the success of this practice. I help this practice generate revenue, and they feel empowered because, look, at the end of the day, we're in the people problem-solving business. Those animals never walk in the door by themselves. They always have a person attached to them, and if we can teach team members how to become excellent communicators and leaders in the practice, then, you know, we're going to have a thriving veterinary hospital and a thriving winning team. Yeah. And Tracy, of course, we've, you know, this isn't new. People long before us and people long after us will be saying the same thing to independent practice owners. The people that are taking note of these sorts of movements and philosophies are the corporate practices. I mean, so, you know, they are doing a great job of empowering their teams, which unleashes the superpower in each individual. And so, Tracy, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the shift that we're seeing in the corporate practices and, and sort of how we can learn from what they're doing and, and apply it to our practices to be more competitive. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great uh, discussion point. And I think that, you know, corporate consolidation is needed and necessary and, and veterinary profession, just like in you know, the dental profession and other professions, when you've got a fragmented industry like ours, um, I think bringing in corporate groups is a good thing. But I also think there are corporate groups out there that are buying at veterinary hospitals and they're not really making significant changes in the infrastructure and the management of the organization. So um, I think that some of the corporate groups are focused on um, you know, generating the money that that veterinarians should be generating. I mean, this is a very, very profitable industry. And, you know, I think that there needs to be more veterinarians out there who are stepping up and taking, having the courage and confidence to run practices and own practices themselves. They have what it takes to do that. And, and I'm passionate, I really am passionate about women as well. We, you know, we're, we're dominated by females in the profession. And I think women are um, maybe lack confidence uh, in themselves or, are fearful about you know being a slave to their business, and so they don't step up and buy practices. And I, I want to encourage more veterinarians to buy veterinary hospitals because 
they have the ability to be you know, financially um, successful, wealthy even, um, but they also have the ability to make something incredible for themselves. And, um, but, but again, I think, I think that there are some corporate groups out there that are bringing resources to practices and they're, they're building some infrastructure for practices. Um, over the long haul, but you know there are a lot of new groups out there that, you know, I, when I've asked them and they've they've asked me to be a part of helping them acquire practices, and I ask them, well, what's your value proposition? What are you bringing to these hospitals day one that they desperately need to, um, you know, have some uh, the the load taken off of them, the stress removed, and um, you know they don't always have the right answers for me to be able to refer my my clients to them, and so. I think we have to be really careful, and any of those who are listening to this podcast, if you're interested in selling to a corporate consolidator, you need to ask the questions and do your due diligence to really understand you know, what sort of help and, and, and relief that you're going to get once you sell to that group. Yeah, and Tracy, you know, I, I've certainly written and lectured on this a lot. Uh, inevitably, in every market, uh, the the Entire market is owned, whether you're talking about automobiles or aerospace or biotech or veterinary medicine, they're going to be owned, about 70% of markets will be owned by four to five major players, and then you have this long tail of independent and smaller uh, groups. And so what, what, if you're right now, if you're listening to a consolidator, a smaller group saying, look, you know, we're going to buy your clinic and we're not going to touch a thing, I can tell you, as Tracy just illustrated, those are probably making a play to aggregate to sell you to somebody else. So just be aware uh, when you when you enter into these types of, of agreements that, you know, number one, you may be sold to somebody else down the line, and that may or may not change your opinion on it. But the reality is, you know, right now we can do so much better, Tracy. That's, that's where I get so frustrated. And so the consolidators that are, are going in and making some fundamental changes and not just back office changes, but actually and the way we empower our teams, those are the ones that are going to get ahead in the long run, in my opinion. Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think those are the groups that are going to are going to continue to be successful because they're going to have other practices refer, you know, prospective practices to them because they've had an amazing, amazing experiences working with those corporate groups. And so I think that's, you know, back to, um, you know, on a positive side for corporate groups, you know, right. let's face it, right. there are a lot of veterinarians who have absolutely no desire to manage and lead and own veterinary hospitals. And I think, you know, the, the corporate groups that are doing it the right way um, are the solution to those, to that problem. So Becky, you know, from a team empowerment standpoint, you know, which is, is really what we want to come and come back to real quick, you know, where are the, the obstacles to you as a veterinary technician? Like what are the things that you wish you had the power or autonomy or authority or even responsibility to do? Oh, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> are we starting a new podcast? Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, Miss Tracy said it really well. You know, there is a huge drive at the end of the day that technicians really want utilization. We are trained to do a lot of things, and we have a passion and a skill that we love to bring to the table, including educating our peers um, and in educating our clients and being utilized to do that. So for us, I think utilization is so incredibly essential, but I'm on the long haul of things, I mean, at the end of the day, 
I've said it so many times, we're not a consolation prize and we shouldn't be treated like one. And in our profession, we need longevity and we need longevity through better pay. We need longevity through professional recognition, title protection, and, and utilization protection. And, and those are the things that technicians need. And at the end of the day, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to own practices. And so um, for me, when you say, what are, you know, <laughs> if I could <laughs> wave my magic wand, you know, for us to be treated as equals within this profession because we are smart and hardworking and knowledgeable and we bring it to the table and I really truly think we have people like Miss Tracy in our corner fighting for us out there coming into clinics and saying you are really underutilizing this amazing staff helping to weed out the toxic people who are holding people back and and, and in a lot of cases corporate's doing it too just like you said they're prevent- they're providing a lot of opportunities for technicians and I, and I think there's great things to come. Yeah, Tracy, uh, real quick here, you know, again, one of the sense that that we get a lot from our veterinary support staff is they feel like uh, working in an independent clinic is a bit of a dead end. You know, there's not a lot of vertical ascension, so they can't really rise up within the ranks. They can kind of maybe be the head tech and that's about it. What are what are some of the lessons that you've learned and that you try to incorporate in your practices as far as how do you keep people motivated moving forward, progressing, despite there being some real limits to, you know, kind of what we can offer them in an independent practice. Yeah, that's good. Um, Well, I think, I mean, if you look at studies, um, like what motivates people to come to work every day, money is number five on a list of 10 items. And so we we know that money is not the, is not the most important thing to, uh, to individuals, um, they do need to make a living wage and, right. and get paid a face fair, fair salary so they can, you know, they can live with their family. But I also think that, um, you know, people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to be in on things. And when the people mission, have, yes, right. and if they have yeah. the ability to be at the decision-making table when decisions are made in the business and they have a voice in the practice right. when. Um, you know, on a daily basis, and they're treated like equals, I think they're going to be motivated. I mean, you're right that there's not a, a high ladder to, to climb up in a, in a small business, but I don't think that's necessarily um, what drives most people to work in a veterinary hospital. They have a passion for this profession. They have a passion for patient care and pet ownership and, and the bonds that, that those, those individuals have with each other. And I believe that if you can... Um, really spend the time, you know, working on your practice versus in your practice with your entire healthcare team and and you work together as a team, that builds motivation. That builds a lot of motivation (laughs) when people feel empowered that they have a voice in the practice. And I also think that a lot of veterinarians are not control freaks. I mean, my dad, you know, when when he won, when we won the award for um, Practice of Excellence, the name of the title was you must let go to grow. And he commented in an article about how controlling he was, and it wasn't because he just wanted things done right. And I think that's a big problem with veterinarians. They're perfectionist. They, you know, uh, their animals' lives are at stake. And so I think they fear letting go of the control and empowering their team because they want things done the way they're supposed to be done. And so I, I think that's the, the real dilemma here is that veterinarians have, they take all this responsibility on their shoulders and if they could develop their team, train their team, work on the practice as a team, developing standards and developing systems so that everyone can be trained, this is how we do it here in our hospital, not this is how Dr. Jones does it or Dr. Smith and you know, you've got multiple veterinarians working in one practice 
you know, I, had, I owned a practice in San Diego, and I had seven veterinarians, and after about a few months of working in the practice, they came to me and said, Tracy, we need trained technicians in this practice. And I said to them, I would love to train these technicians, but I'm not going to train them seven different ways of doing things in our hospital. We have to all get on the same page about what we do and why we do it. 80% of what we do in practice, because I believe most veterinarians did not go to school for eight years to learn how to give vaccinations or talk to clients about, you know, flea and tick preventative and heartworm disease and the importance of, of you know, good oral health care and nutrition. Those are the things that, you know, 80%, most pets walking into general practices today are healthy, happy pets that need preventative health care services and procedures and education. And we can empower the team to, you know, do 80% of what happens in practice. And right. the veterinarian does 20% of what happens in the, you know, the, the, the client-patient experience. And, you know, veterinarians went to school to deal with the technical, the really critical cases, that 20% where it needs the intimate contact time of a veterinarian. Um, and I think that if we can show veterinarians a way to get the knowledge out of their brains and put it into the brains of their team and they're able to communicate conversational veterinary medicine, um, we're going to have a lot more motivated uh, lay staff working in practices today. And that's the superpower. That's yes, it. that's exactly it. I love that so much, Ms. Tracy. Thank you so much for all of that. Please tell anybody and everybody where they can find more about you, the relationship-centered practice, your um, consulting firm, everything. What, Where do they need to go to find more about you? And they can see your superpower. Yeah, absolutely. You can go to tracydowdy.com, and you will find everything you need to know about about me and my services and my online course. And I would love, love for uh, everyone to do that. That's tracydowdy.com, T-R-A-C-Y-D-O-W-D-Y.com. Happy, happy to help in any way I can. I love this profession. I love the people in it. I love working in this profession. There's just, um, and there's a lot of needs here. And so I know you guys are, you know, part of the, you know, part of the, squad here that is helping others and thank you for letting me be a part of your podcast today well you've heard what we have to say now we want to hear from you what are your team's superpowers and how do you empower your team to actually do their best and stay happy and motivated throughout their busy days let us know. We want to hear more about what you're doing within your clinic to make sure that your clinic is relationship-centered and that you have the best culture out there. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at VetViewFinder and on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. Don't forget to go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a review. <laughs> make sure you click to subscribe leave a review and leave the stars it's a three-step process to make sure we are at the top of the list because we want to be at the top of your podcast list so until next time thank you so much tracy for sharing your superpower and again thank you for all you're doing to help make our profession that much more special thank you all bye 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 bye, -bye.